Welcome to the Magnum Rewatch Podcast. I'm Graham. I'm Kathleen. We are from LoadingReadyRun.com, purveyors of fine internet funny stuff. I mean, your mileage may vary on the funny stuff, but we think it's funny. Well, funny is subjective, but we think it's great, but we're extremely biased, so, you know. Yeah, I don't put out a product I'm not proud of. <laughs> Full disclosure, uh, we create this product that we are endorsing, so. And I put a lot of work into this. We do. We do. But today, we're not talking about comedy. Well, we I try- mean, unintentional comedy. We- There's some unintentional comedy in this episode. We try to be entertaining. Yes. But specifically, we are talking about the world of Magnum P.I. and the season one finale Oh my goodness. The final episode of the first season of This is the Magnum thing that P. was going to make you want to watch season two. Episode 18, Beauty Knows No Pain. Woo, we've been doing this podcast for a while if we've already plowed through the first season. Yeah, this will be our 17th episode of the podcast because we did the first episode as two. Yeah, well, if there's the a first, two-parter, the, yeah. we do it as one episode. We're not going to leave you hanging yeah. for a week because, no. I mean, it's a rewatch podcast, not actually the TV show. Yeah, not going to leave you hanging for months even. Oh, yeah. Ooh, like that Star Trek TNG action. Da, 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 to be continued. It's always the worst one. It's the season finale. It's the worst. But this And then is... the show gets canceled and you're like, I guess I'll just go read some fan fiction on Tumblr. This episode, while not the worst, is odd. Yeah, so I don't know if weird. I would have picked this to be the season finale. Actually, no. This episode is the gigantic payoff for the whole season because you get to see Magnum in a Speedo bathing suit. It's also like Magnum gets comeuppance, the episode. Yes. So perhaps it is the uh, karmic retribution for a season of him taking advantage of the good natures of Robin's Nest and of TC especially. I mean, Rick is probably fine with this, but Rick doesn't get quite as abused as TC, I feel. No, nor Higgins, and Higgins gets something out of this as well, so that's nice. We open on a beautiful sunrise shot from the beach in Honolulu looking out to the ocean. Magnum is like, ah, the tourist season is over, so it's finally quiet again. Hooray. In fact, this is his opening narration. Hawaii's like every sensual woman I've ever known. She can have raging, violent bursts of temper, followed by incredible calm and peacefulness. Why would you want to date someone like that? Of either gender. Today was like one of those days of true serenity, when even the tourist wave seems to recede. There's no amount of sensuality that could make me put up with violent mood swings in a partner. It's a little bit of a women, am I right, description, but... Ugh. Yeah. Anyway, he's jogging. He runs back to the King Kamehameha Club, catches up with Rick and TC, who are hanging out at the beachfront bar. Magnum has his typical post-run beer, which is something we've seen him do several times. Though he is really concerned about his time. He's like, Rick, tell me the time. What time is it? What time is it? Oh, cool. That's my best time yet. I mean, obviously Magnum cares. Otherwise, he wouldn't do any of this stuff because it's hard and irritating. He says he runs eight miles a day, and he usually completes that eight miles in under an hour. That's real fast. Yeah. That's really good, actually. Well, have you seen this guy in a Speedo? I mean, I'm about to later in the episode. Dude is fit. Yeah, no. TC's really interested about that, actually. He's Super really... interested about how fit oh, really? Magnum is. He's like, huh, how, so, so that's how well you run. How, you're a good swimmer, too, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. How, how are you on a bike? Magnum's it, like, uh, uh, no. And TC's like, what, what do you mean? What do you mean, no? And Magnum says, I'm not entering the Ironman competition. Or the Ironman contest? What is it they yeah. call it? They call it something weird. Yeah, they don't call it a triathlon yet. I don't know if that term had been invented. I mean, uh, yes, it had. Well, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Meh. They just call it the Ironman. Yeah. The Ironman race. Yeah, they never actually use the word triathlon in the episode, which is a little weird. It's also called the Iron Man. Two yeah, words, two whereas words. The, the official Ironman triathlon is one word. It's Ironman. 
Probably to avoid Marvel problems. Probably. Anyway, TC wants Magnum to run the Iron Man as a sponsored competitor from Island Hoppers. To get him publicity. To get him publicity. Because at the beginning of the scene, before Magnum gets there, TC's complaining that, you know, this is the dead season and he's not getting any business. I don't really know how running... In, well, I guess the Iron Man competition was a lot newer back yeah. when this episode come, came out. Would you like to hear the history of the Iron Man? I would, actually, because I think we should also explain, on the off chance that people listening are unfamiliar with what TC is trying to volunteer Magnum for. Oh, it's truly horrific. And here's the deal. like, uh, I feel like everybody is familiar with the triathlon, but I feel like not a lot of people are actually going to be super familiar with the ins and outs of what exactly constitutes an Ironman. And let me tell you, it is not for the faint of heart. So the Ironman started in the late 1970s. In fact, it started in Hawaii. So there you go. It started in Hawaii? It started in Hawaii. It's a Hawaiian thing. I actually did not know that. According to the Wikipedia article on the Ironman, the idea for the original triathlon came up during the awards ceremony for the 1977 Oahu Perimeter Relay. And people from the Mid-Pacific Roadrunners, a Hawaiian running group, and from the Waikiki Swim Club, a swimming group, were there. And members of both groups had competed in this race, and they were having a debate about whose members were fitter, the swimmers or the runners. And this is one of those good-natured kind of over-beard debates. Oh, this is amazing. And then, then what happened? A Navy commander by the name of John Collins pointed out that at a recent article in Sports Illustrated, Eddie uh, Merkix, the great Belgian cyclist, had the highest recorded oxygen uptake of any athlete ever measured. So, you know, as his way of suggesting a settlement, maybe he said that cyclists were more fit than runners or swimmers. So the idea being... Whoever can cycle and run and swim must be the ultimate athlete. Yeah, I mean, there had been triathlons already staged in the nineteen, like the early to mid nineteen seventies. Uh, so, like the concept of a triathlon. Were they the same three events? Yeah. Okay. It's always been swimming and running and cycling. Okay. The concept of triathlon was not new. However, after all of this happened, then Collins suggested, "Hey, you know what we should do." We could settle this debate once and for all with a race that combines the existing three long-distance competitions that are already on the island because there is the Waikiki Rough Water Swim. And in fact, Magnum says you have to swim through this choppy water and almost die Yep. because that was part of the challenge is that it's, it's much harder to swim in choppy water than it is in smooth, which was 2.4 miles, so two, almost two and a half miles through rough water. The Around Oahu Bike Race, which was 115 miles, and that was supposed to be a two-day event. And the Honolulu Marathon, which of course is the 26.2 miles. Now, I would just like to point out, according to this Wikipedia article, no one who was arguing about putting together this Ironman race had ever even done the bike race. <laughs> it's worth noting that in the episode, they do it in the order swim run bike which is not actually how iron men are run no iron, no iron, iron men man. are not run like that I, do you know why they're not run like that why because the last leg is the most dangerous and that's the leg you're most likely to collapse on and if you collapse while you're riding a bike you're more likely to hurt yourself that makes sense so they make you run at the end because then the worst that happens is you just kind of collapse under your own power right you don't actually get into some major trouble yeah but in the episode for structural reasons they swim then run then bike yeah don't do that that's a terrible idea the uh, original iron man rules had swim 2.4 miles bike 112 miles run 26.2 miles brag for the rest of your life that was the 
sort of quirky caveat at the end of the instructions and is now a registered trademark of Iron Man. I know people who have gotten tattoos of the Iron Man symbol when they've completed one. Uh, it's a hell of a thing. Our friend Matt's mom has the Iron Man symbol tattooed on her leg, doesn't she? That's one of the people I was thinking of. Yeah, I mean, it's no small feat. I couldn't no. do that. I would, uh, I would probably, I, I have no tattoos and I don't really have any interest in getting one, but if I ran an Iron Man, I probably would. Be like, look what I did once. Yeah, Check the first one was in 1978. So if Magnum's running this in 1981, it's fresh. Also, there's like 40 people competing in this one, maybe. <laughs> I assume they just couldn't get that many extras to be impractical. The Iron Man wasn't as popular, though. Yeah. Like, the first Iron Man had 15 people competing in it. Oh, okay. Right? Well, fair enough. You know, like, it wasn't standard for personal fitness achievement that I it guess, is today. I guess that makes sense why, because there, now this is something I noticed as a writer who has to frequently make sure that there's things that we are explaining in dialogue without sounding like we're dropping exposition bombs. Yeah. TC suggests the Iron Man, and Magnum has this sort of curious line of like, what, that thing where you swim and then bike and then race he basically has this line of dialogue that is played off like he is goofily dismissing tc while serving the mechanical purpose of explaining to anyone in the audience who might not know exactly what the iron man is well like i said i feel like nowadays there might people might know that the iron man is incredibly grueling but not might not know that it's 2.4 mile swim yeah and that's 100 mile bike ride or 112 in this case that's the thing because i noticed that line i was like oh that's that's one of those really specific i was like oh that's one of those explaining lines that's interesting that that would need to be in there because everyone knows what an Iron Man is. But I didn't know that Iron Man was only like maybe three years old at this point. Yeah, it was definitely a new concept. Yeah, and, so that makes perfect sense. And I still think a lot of people at the time were like, that is nuts. You cannot do that in one day. You will die. But in fact, the Iron Man is still taking place in Hawaii and in, of course, a lot of other places too. Now, the Magnum was just able to kind of rock up to the Iron Man. Uh, not the case anymore. There are very few ways to actually get into what is now the Iron Man World Championship, which is held in Hawaii. You can get picked via the Legacy Program. You can try the auction to just kind of get a slot. Or you can try the Iron Man Lottery. Of course, Iron Man is now a corporation run out of florida called the world triathlon corporation and uh, according to federal prosecutors that last option trying the iron man lottery is incredibly illegal so here's the deal you can enter the iron man lottery and in fact in 2015 14,254 people entered it with an entry fee of 50 dollars you can also join the iron man passport club which lets athletes double their chances of winning the lottery for another 50 dollars and i'm sure you got other membership benefits but what this comes down to is that you are in fact paying a hundred dollars to get a chance to run the iron man in hawaii and you're like okay well that's a lot of money how much money did that bring bring in uh in 2015 over one million dollars and for each year a hundred people get to go run the iron man in hawaii so federal prosecutors are like wow that is an incredibly illegal lottery uh, the Iron Man Corporation is now having to forfeit $2.7 million in lottery earnings in exchange for not having charges brought against them. I did not expect to learn that today. Well, I actually read that last week and I was like, huh, I might need that for later. Wait, you learned that last week and then we see the Magnum episode about Iron Man? Yeah, it was an article on Deadspin. Huh. But so yeah, don't do that. Don't run illegal lotteries, everybody. But then after all of that Iron Man talk, they are rudely interrupted. Because a woman is coming to see Magnum. Not before Rick gives him a little chastising for continuing to use the bar as his office. This woman will be instantly recognizable by face to 
one generation of television viewers and instantly recognizable by voice to another generation of television viewers. She played the receptionist Carol Kester on The Bob Newhart Show for many, many years. Much beloved character to television audiences. But you probably know her as the voice of Edna Krabappel. Mrs. Krabappel! The teacher on The Simpsons. The late, great Marsha Wallace. She's a tall, slim, short-haired redhead who's quite kooky. She has had other roles, but I've... I've neatly summarized the two that are most relevant to pretty much anybody listening. And I can also tell you that she won an Emmy for Outstanding Voiceover Performance in 1992. And yeah, she died a couple of years ago, didn't she? 2013, yeah. Aww. Mm-hmm. Rest in peace, Mrs. Krabappel. Indeed. But in this episode, she is Barbara Terranova, or Babs. <laughs> and she needs help from Magnum P.I., she says. It's the only time in the entire series that phrase is spoken out loud. Really? Yeah. Wow. She says, I'm looking for Magnum P.I. and starts shaking Rick's hand. And Rick's like, uh, it's not me. And she turns around and sees Magnum and is like, oh, okay. Yeah, and then she's like, so I have enough money to hire you for exactly 24 hours, so let's go. It's an incredibly weird opening spiel. And Magnum's like, I cannot guarantee you results in 24 hours. And she's like, oh, none of the other private eyes could. I've been just going through the phone book. And Rick's like, oh, we need to get you a better listing. We need to move it up somehow then. We need to move your name up the alphabetical. That's a real thing. Okay, you know how there's like AAA and like plumbing and mm-hmm. AAA carpeting and stuff like that? I think this is a Radiolab episode. And I won't go into extreme detail, but they had one of the earliest known uh, cases of this is a family business that had splintered as an uncle took a share or took went to start his own moving business and who changed the name to like Acme Movers so he could be first in the phone book. And then they changed their name to like Double A Acme Movers or something like that. That's why there's places called like Triple A Painting, Double A Plumbing. This is why people use tildes at the beginning of their usernames. Oh, right, because that comes up first. Yep. That's so irritating, it's though. It's supremely irritating. Don't do that. Tilde XX... Axe Hammer XX Tilda. Well, I was going to make that fake username a lot more filthy. Yeah, I, for some reason I didn't think the first uh. thing I thought of was not filthy, but... Well, I think that just is an illustration of the differences between you and me, Graham. <laughs> I've been seeing a lot of usernames while playing Destiny that are pot jokes. Yeah, was it like Dankstorm or something like that. No, there was one called Roach Clip. There was one called Four Smoke Two Grass Zero. Oh, because that's subtle. I don't think they were trying to be subtle. Well, I mean, there's the less subtle ones. Wasn't there just one like bong hits or something like that? (laughs) Hits with a Z because it's cool, right? I don't know if you think you're making that up or not, but that's literally a name I saw. No, no, I know. I'm saying that because you tweeted it. Yeah. (laughs) Like compared to bong hits for smoke, grass. No, it it was smoke, grass broken up by 420. So four oh. smoke to grass t- zero. I mean, that's practically poetry compared to bong hits. Don't they, make any of those your usernames, by the way. They probably felt real smart after coming up with that one. They anyway, were probably real stoned. Anyway. Wow, this is nothing to do with the episode. She wants Magnum's help, and she's convinced that he is the right person to do it because he had an understanding voice on his answering machine. Magnum's like, okay, sure, I'll take your money for a day. Once again, Magnum is susceptible to a woman in need. It's it's seriously an ongoing weakness. Absolutely. He's, she's like, here's an unreasonable terms of a case. And he goes, no, that's nuts. I'm sorry. 
And she says, but I am in need of help and I sold all my things and moved out here on one-way ticket and have to find this man who I love very much. And he's like, okay, I will help you, lady. Yeah, she used to, what is the gym she used to work at? It was, it's not a gym, it's a fitness salon. It's very 1980s. The Firmer Body in 10 Days Exercise Salon. Oh, right, in Bayonne, New Jersey. That immediately made me think of the Crystal Light National Aerobic Championship. Because there's that extended thing of the announcer introducing all the athletes and the clubs they represent, and the names are amazing. It's also very 1980s. My favorite, by the way, is The Firm in Washington, D.C. I mean, that's actually a good joke name for a fitness place now, honestly. It's great. But yeah, so she is an instructor at the Firmer Firmer Body in 10 Days Fitness Salon. Formerly. Uh, well, yeah, from New Jersey, but she quit everything to come out here and find her fiancé who's just gone missing. Ah, and so Magnum's like, fine, let's go. And so they start at pool halls for some reason? He plays pool a lot, and she assumes that someone at a pool hall would have would know him. I mean, that's not a bad assumption. But she also is like, oh, I can't show you a picture of him. Because he doesn't like having his picture taken. Because he's got two... And she tells this elaborate story about how he's got two gold teeth. And like, not like you know, back in the side where you typically have a tooth replaced, but like front. Prominent. Like two, like, you know where you would have buck teeth? Yeah. Not buck, just gold. Gold teeth. Gold buck teeth. Buck gold. This no, guy was a, apparently a, an early adopter of the grill look. I guess so, yeah. Yeah. But she does not have time to wait to go back to Robin's Nest and get the Ferrari. I don't know why Magnum doesn't have the Ferrari with him. Because he ran there. Because Magnum is on the clock as far as she's concerned. So no, they don't have time to go and do that, even though it would be more efficient than her option, which is take the bus. So they take the bus and Magnum's like, oh, for... And this lady's a kook. This lady's a massive kook. She bought extra sandwiches on the airplane yesterday. And isn't it good that she saved them and gives Well, a they were probably free because this was air travel in the 1980s. Well, she said she said she bought it. Oh, maybe she bought it at the airport. It's also just like a sandwich in saran wrap. Yeah, Magnum is like, I'm not eating a day old sandwich from your purse. I've got standards. Yeah. She, I may be poor, but I have my pride. She, on the other hand, is just casually, as if she's done it for years, tearing chunks out of the middle of the sandwich to avoid the crust. While she's telling this story. It's a good character moment, actually. Yeah. I feel that's all Marsha Wallace. Yeah. They finally and mercifully... Get off this damn bus. Get to the bus, while Magnum, in narration, of course, is talking about how difficult it is to tail a bus, and how obvious it is to tail a bus, because you have to keep stopping and taking weird corners, the same as the bus is. And you, the viewer, then notice that there's this blue sedan that's been following them. The whole time. The whole time. They get out, they go inside the pool hall... The blue sedan pulls ahead, and you see these two guys walk towards the pool hall and basically wait at a telephone booth outside and just sort of wait for them. Yeah, Magnum, uh, like, distracts her long enough to ditch the sandwich in a garbage can before they go into the pool hall. Once inside, Babs starts looking around for anyone who might know Roger. By the way, his name is Roger. Do we mention that? No, not yet. His name is Roger. While she does that, Magnum gets on the phone to Higgins, of course, using the Robin Masters private line, when apparently there are four other phone lines to the Robin Masters estate. Oh, this place must cost a fortune. But he uses the private line because he tells Higgins it's the only number he can remember and asks him to send the Ferrari down. And Higgins is like, why are you asking? Because he had to take the bus. And Higgins finds this utterly hilarious. Yeah, like Higgins has to sit down. He's laughing so hard at Magnum being on a bus. What makes him sit down is not so much the bus, but the directions that Magnum gives him. Oh, right. Because he's asking Higgins to have the car sent to Honolulu Lulu's pool hall. 
Honolulu Lulu's pool hall. It doesn't exactly roll off the tongue. It really doesn't. I guess it's memorable. Barbara says no one here knows him and they have to move on to the next place. And Magnum says, no, 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 wait. My car is coming here. It'll be here within the hour. If we wait for that, then we can drive to all the pool halls and check them and it will be much faster. So let's just wait. And Barbara wants to go. She's having none of this. And he's like, okay, here's the deal. We'll play some pool while we're waiting. If you win, this hour is on the house and it does not count against the clock. If I win, this hour counts against the clock. However, we're still going to get where we need to go a lot faster and a lot more efficiently. So either way, this is a win-win situation for you. And you hear in the Magnum voiceover, I used to play a little pool. Eh, you know, I'm not bad. Barbara actually says, you're not a shark, are you? Magnum says, no. And she says, great, rack them up. Turns out Barbara is a gigantic shark. Barbara is a massive shark. Because, She's really good at pool. Because Roger is a pool hall junkie, basically. And... Like, not junkie as in he's into drugs. I mean, as in he plays a lot of pool. And she learned from him how to play the game. And she's really, really good. Like, comically good. Like, like movie comedy good. In that you get shots of Magnum standing beside the table looking increasingly depressed while Marsha Wallace moves around the table. Cut in with reverse shots of ball after ball after triple ball after double ball after triple ball being sunk. Yeah, like she's some sort of, like, pool pro. I mean, pool used to be a much more popular pastime before we had, I don't know, video games. Anything. Hobbies where you didn't have to be in a smoky place. I actually quite like pool. I just haven't played in years. Well, I like pool too, but it's not the kind of, I mean, maybe we could just organize a pool night. Mm. Everybody, there's a billiards place in town. There is. Like, who wants to go and play some pool? Oh, not Magnum, because we do get our first look at the camera in this episode. Yeah, where he's like, oh God. Actually, our only look at the camera in this episode, but it's a solid like, womp, womp. I'm being sharked. Now, I'd just like to say, so after this scene barbara is tallying up how many hours magnum owes her and i'm like that is not the terms of your deal at all it was not a per game it was just a for the hour she is this is the not the first it is in fact one of many many times that barbara sort of misinterprets what other people are doing to twist it to her own advantage she's a deeply unlikable character she actually is, despite she's the fact horrible. that she, despite the fact that she's played up all like kooky and lighthearted, and and like, she's irritating she's, and loud and like mean and manipulative. It's weird because she's played to be likable, but she's actually not. She's actually far less likable than uh, Jay Digger Doyle, who is supposed to be like the Ice Queen from the Sea. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I would much rather see another episode with her, even though she was apparently so awful. There is a brief brief exterior scene between magnum getting sharked right out and them finally getting in the ferrari which is a shot of the two guys who are waiting outside and one of them says well i guess we'll just have to do whatever we can and he turns around and smiles big and you see that he's got two buck gold teeth and you're like what the f is that roger why why roger do that huh what's going on it's very confusing the scene when they do get the ferrari is apparently like the next day because Magnum says they they looked all night and all day at all the pool halls. And she's like, well, I mean, technically you're on the clock till dinner time. And it's like, I hate you. Magnum's sort of unimpressed. But he does notice that they're still being followed by this big blue sedan. So he asks Barbara if she's good in cars. And she says yes. And he goes, great. And just floors it. Floors it. Yeah, just takes the F off. With the Ferrari, of course. He notices that the guy chasing them or tailing them is not being subtle about it. He's and not he, very good at his job. And he, Magnum's really confused about this. He's trying to sort of suss this guy out. 
So he takes off, sees what the guy does, and then pulls into a gas station to, to top back up again. I would just like to point out, this is the exact same gas station that Magnum and uh, the, the ugliest dog in Hawaii ended up at. Mm, that's true. And then they had whatever that dog's name was, Mr. Pickles or something. <laughs> Farnsworth something? Farnsworth. No, that's the, that's the old guy from Futurama. Sherbert Buttercup. It's not Floyd. That was a different episode. Sir Algernon Farnsworth. No, but they called him Algy. Yeah. Ugh. He doesn't like it, though. He prefers Sir Algernon Farnsworth. Well, everybody has their preferences, but they, you can't always get what you want. What I love in this scene is they're standing there filling up, and the guy in the blue sedan is, like, barreling past the, the gas station and then really conspicuously passes just past it, slams on the brakes, and then is like, oh, I guess I should uh, gas or something. I'm going to park here. The I don't guy know anything about spying, and I'd be like, why am I being followed by this man? It's very strange. So Magnum says, I'm going to go inside and go to the bathroom. And in a minute, you go inside and go to the bathroom. And she's like, but I don't need to go to the bathroom. Magnum He's... says, "I just please go inside and go to the bathroom. But I don't need to go to the bathroom. Okay, but do it. But I don't need to go to the bathroom. And then he just walks off. But I don't need to go to the bathroom. And then he starts Fine, like, sh- I guess. shaking his head and walking away. That is seriously the dialogue exchange. Yeah. We are doing it. I'm not as annoying. So Magnum, Magnum disappears. And then a minute later, Barbara's like, well, all right, sure. Then she gets up and goes inside. And the guy in the blue sedan, who's wearing a nice suit, who is not either of the guys that was waiting outside the pool hall, notably. No, he's much younger looking. He walks over to the Ferrari and just starts sort of checking it out casually while washing his hands in heavy air quotes with like the paper towel that comes from the squeegee dispenser. Sure. Unsurprisingly, we then see Magnum sneak out from the other side of the gas station building behind the blue sedan so he can case it and stuff. But we don't really see what else he does because we go back to the other side. Barbara comes back out of the bathroom. The guy goes, whoop, um, I'm back at card times now and wanders back to his sedan. Barbara gets in the car. Magnum comes back around the building. Magnum gets in the car, starts to pull away, then turns around, waves like, come here at the guy in the sedan and takes off and the guy in the sedan goes oh no and starts the car up floors it and nothing happens because magnum has jacked up his entire back axle he's used two jacks to raise the back axle of the sedan so it can't move womp womp this character's name by the way buddy moran i don't think think they ever give him a name i don't think it's mentioned the episode don't know why it's in the end credits but there it is buddy moran because they needed to write something other than dude i guess Played by uh, Darby Hinton, a child actor from the 60s, who was in the NBC TV show Daniel Boone from 1964 to 1970 as Israel Boone, Daniel Boone's kid. Neat. That's his biggest role. And then it was some bit parts and then retiring from acting? Yeah, pretty much. Meh. He's the only other actor with any sort of notable big TV history in this episode. I mean, Marsha Wallace is like... A big deal. Top tier and everyone else is just sort of there. Maybe this is why this is the season finale episode because Marsha Wallace would be a well-known quantity at this point. Yeah, from Newhart, of course, not from... Well, not... Sorry, not Newhart, the Bob Newhart show, which is a different show than Newhart, which was Bob Newhart's other show, but not yet from The Simpsons. Right. But people would recognize her and be like, oh, she's that funny lady that I like. Oh, it's Carol Kester. Right. Having evaded man in suit in blue sedan, they arrive home safely at Robin's Nest and go inside to the guest house to find TC happily constructing a sandwich out of Magnum's food. Yeah, it goes, it's brown bread, mayo, lettuce, tomato, bologna, brown bologna. bread. Yeah, oh yeah, two bologna. bologna. I think there's like five pieces of bologna. Oh. He goes, without wanting to put too fine a point on it, he goes ham with that bologna. Well, it's not his bologna, it's Magnum's bologna. <laughs> 
he kind of feels like Magnum owes him some baloney. They both note with curiosity that Zeus and Apollo did not give Magnum or TC a hard time today, which is funny because TC knows exactly why Zeus and Apollo did not give him a hard time, but that won't come up until later. They come inside, and Magnum is trying to work on this case with Barbara, but TC is still obsessed with forcing Magnum to run the triathlon as a sponsored runner for island hoppers. Right. And he's really really keen about it he's like poking magnum's abs you know he's talking about how he's like well of course i'm all stylish and awesome looking and and super ripped and he flexes and it's just like dear god it's like you shoved a kaiser roll into your body yeah like his biceps are are huge nothing to sniff at tc is like yeah but all this muscle this is you know this is not triathlon body even though it's an amazing body did i mention that i also have a good body but you magnum you you have the triathlon body and Magnum's like no I'm not doing this I don't want to die this sounds awful and Barbara pipes up with yeah no that's true actually because of course I've seen him running and I would say that he's sort of you know medium in terms of stamina you know he's he's fine I guess Magnum's like hey I'm I'm technically doing you a favor this is just like cementing her into the unlikable column for me She's like, unless you had a good trainer, you know, you wouldn't be able to get him ready for the triathlon in time. TC asks, well, what kind of trainer, what what would he look like? And Magnum says, you want to be asking what she would look like, I assume. And Barbara's like, yes, I worked at Firmer Body in 10 Days Fitness back in New Jersey, and I will be the trainersman. I don't think that qualifies you at all to, to help somebody train for an Ironman. You're supposed to train for months for that. And the thing is, like, TC is showing off all these... If not years. It's, I don't understand how this happens, because TC is like, you you need to run this triathlon for my publicity. You owe this to me, because I have this pocket full of IOUs, and shows off all these little, like, notepad bits of paper. Like, you owe me for this, you owe me for this, you owe me for this. TC wants free advertising. Yeah. And Barbara says, oh, that's great, and I'll train him, and he'll run it. And they both go, awesome, it's decided. Well, no, because she says, if I train him to run it, then he'll work on the case for free while I'm training him to do the Ironman, and then, uh, and I'll take that in lieu of payment for training him, but, you know, then I get private investigatory skills, and then you get him running the Ironman for you, and Magnum's like... No, and they're like, great, that sounds like a deal. And Magnum's like, I'm not doing that. Yeah, Magnum is very clear. It's weird. TC and Barbara seem to feel like they have come to an agreement that is happening and is signed, some sort of contract. They're like, great, this is the thing that we are doing. And Magnum says, what? I'm literally standing right between you guys. This is not actually a thing that is happening. Somehow Magnum gets sort of railroaded into running this trial. No, he doesn't. He's still not going to do it. We cut to the next morning and Barbara's there in like a tracksuit kind of thing. And she's telling him all these things to do. She's really keen on knees to chest, like bringing your legs up really high when you run. There's knees to chest, knees to chest. That's like, saying. okay, and I'm not exactly a high-level performance runner, but I have I have run a half marathon distance in the past. And I have had some advice from people who are better at running than me. And there is nothing that you want to do less than like do crazy knees to chest movements while you are trying to do a long distance endurance run. What you want to do is figure out what your body wants to do to run in the most, literally the most efficient way possible. If you have ever seen anybody running a marathon, they're not swinging their knees around at all. It is like this finely tuned, it's almost a shuffle, right? You are doing the least amount of effort possible just to propel your body forward as efficiently as possible so you don't 
freaking die. It's the worst advice I've ever heard. And she keeps telling it to him, and I'm like, stop! You are going to hurt someone, because somebody who doesn't know anything about running is going to think this is good advice, and then they're going to hurt themselves. Magnum doesn't give a crap, by the way, because he's maintaining that this is not happening, and he's going to go for a swim, and when he comes back from his swim, then they can go find Roger, and she can go away forever. But unfortunately for Magnum, Higgins shows up, with a bright smile on his face, and hands Barbara a bag of supplies that he's bought from the estate account that are the things that she requested. Various, he lists off various ingredients, lots of fish oils and, and protein, protein powders and, and things like that. And Higgins says, I'm sure it'll taste awful, but the, these are the sacrifices that must be made, I'm sure. And Magnum basically is like, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. What are you talking about? According to Higgins, TC came to Higgins with TC's plan to have Magnum run the race. And Higgins pitched the idea to Robin Masters, who thinks it's a wonderful idea. Because wouldn't it be good to have a representative not only of Island Hoppers, but also of the King Kamehameha Club? And also, wouldn't it be great for the Robin's Nest on-site investigator slash security detail to be shown to be all fit and amazing? So... He's basically doing it now. Basically, Magnum is helpless at this point. Magnum has no option. He He's running this Iron Man, whether he wants to or not. And apparently, for some reason, Barbara is training him. I can't think of anybody less qualified. So I just want to like just point out, as I'm sure that many, many people listening have probably realized, it is incredibly dangerous to run any kind of race, even a half marathon, even a 10K, if you are not physically prepared. I just want to point out that it's really dangerous to run an Ironman if you're not properly prepared. In fact, I just Googled, has anyone ever died running an Ironman? And here's an article from Men's Health from 2012. Why would you Google that? In last August's Ironman US Championship in New York, a 43-year-old Hong Kong man was pulled from the water near the end of the 2.4-mile Hudson River swim and died a short time later. That's really sad. Over the past nine years, 43 competitors have died in USA triathlon-sanctioned events. Six this year alone. Six this year? Uh, no, well, in 2012. I didn't do a lot of research on this. I just literally just Googled this. This took me like 15 seconds. I mean, your odds of death are one in every 76,000, apparently. However, don't do something like this if you're not prepared to do it. You could literally die. And this is what I don't understand. I mean, obviously, everything that you just said, that you're not training for it. But at least you want to have, if you are going to have a trainer, you should have a good trainer. And, you know, we were joking that firmer body in 10 days fitness and wherever she says the city name like eight times, probably not the best person for it. So why is she there? Like, this is the thing. I get the whole bit with like TC went to Higgins and said that Magnum was interested in doing this. And Higgins knew that that was BS, but basically railroaded Magnum into it by getting Robin Masters on side. Magnum would do this for TC. He would do this with respect for Robin. He would do this because Higgins has the has all this stuff that he can hold over his head. Why is Barbara still involved? From everything we've seen so far, why would he not be like, leave? I don't know. But because she's involved, Higgins arranges to move her to one of the other guest rooms so that she's closer, so the training is easier. Oh, it's the worst. You know who wrote this episode? <laughs> you can't tell because obviously this is an audio only <laughs> podcast, but my smile is telling me that it's an Adelaide episode, isn't it? I was waiting until partway through the podcast to drop that one on you. Oh, for f- 
this episode has some serious logical problems just like Adelaide did. Yeah. It's the same guy. It's the same guy. This guy's not very good at writing television episodes. He doesn't do a lot else for the show, so. Oh, I was wrong. I'm sorry. There are a further nine episodes over the course of the series. That's right. Yeah, because he's only done three this season, hasn't he? Yeah. Adelaide, the Black Orchid, and this one, Beauty Knows No Pain. Yeah, the Black Orchid was weird and stupid in parts, too. Yeah. This guy's shortcut to writing an episode with a ridiculous setup is, I will just make these characters act dumb. I will just make them not do what is in their best interest. I will just make them not do what is logical. It's one of my biggest writing complaints. I hate that. You know what? Every one of these episodes that he's written has a a huge gimmick that it hinges on. It's Mm -hmm. not just, let's find a guy. It's like, let's find a guy and also get horses involved somehow. Let's find a guy and also have LARPing, even though we didn't have that word then. Let, or let's let's find a guy and also have Magnum have to run a freaking Iron Man. Like, there's always some huge gimmick that has to be shoehorned into the plot somehow. So they're training. Mm-hmm. Barbara's riding along beside him on the on a bicycle. Oh, which is not the bicycle that Magnum will be riding in the triathlon. That's one of the other things that sort of forces him into doing it is that Higgins tells him that Robin Masters is so enthralled with the idea that he's arranged to overnight air freight an incredibly expensive like $2,700 Italian or racing bike for Magnum to use in the race. Which weighs a mere seven pounds. Which is honestly, compared to today's racing bikes, and even some bike, my dad is a bicycle enthusiast, compared to some bikes that my dad has owned, is heavy by today's standards. Because, of course, everything is carbon fiber today. Back wherever. in the 80s, they just had carbon. <laughs> solid, it was, every bicycle was just chiseled out of a solid chunk of carbon. Or aluminum. It's probably aluminum. It's probably aluminum. But yeah, uh, seven pounds, not super impressive today. The lead-framed carbo bike. But I mean, I'm not saying it's like not a light, really nice bike. No, seven pounds is not a lot for a bike. No, it's still not a lot. But nowadays, God, you could like, if you pick up like a super high end, like I'm talking like a several thousand dollar racing bike, you could Mm -hmm. easily, like seven pounds, you're like, okay, I can lift this with one hand, but it's a little bit weighty. Nowadays, you're like, this weighs practically nothing. Yeah. Like it all requires almost no effort to move it. It's terrifyingly light. So Magnum's running. Barbara's on the bicycle. She's telling him to now sprint the next, basically from wherever they are back to Robin's Nest, which is a not insignificant distance. That is not how you train to run, by the way. Like, I don't even run very much. But when you're supposed to be training to run, you're supposed to sprint in intervals. You're supposed to sprint for like 30 seconds to a minute to two minutes, whatever you're... you're, Don't talk to me. If you want to learn to run, you can go to clinics and go to trainers and talk to people who run more and who are better at it. What you're supposed to do is you're supposed to sprint for a little bit and then you back off the pace or you even walk for a little bit if you're just learning how to run and so you don't freaking kill yourself this is all the worst advice possible i'm just banging the table and it'll probably come through the podcast and i apologize but don't listen to this or listen to me don't listen to her you're very upset about this it's really irresponsible you can hurt yourself really badly running if you if you don't do it right luckily so we can blame robert hamilton writer of beauty knows no pain if Robert Hamilton is still alive, I'd like to interview him someday about his writing techniques. I'm not saying that I would not be respectful, but I was saying I would ask him hard questions about why he makes the choices he does. So Magnum sprints ahead, as instructed, past the two guys who were waiting outside the pool hall, who then step in front of Barbara to stop the bicycle, and they try to pick her up and put her in their car. And she screams for Magnum, who runs back, and there's a big fist fight. During which he notices that one of the guys has two gold front teeth. 
Wait, and, really? Oh, is this is this what's his face? And then at the end of the scene, the camera pans over, and the guy in the suit and the blue sedan is watching. There's like there's three different parties at play here now. What what is happening? This is not remotely correct connected to anything that was going on. I was just like, I wonder how light racing bikes are now. Because like I said, you could easily lift them with one hand. Uh, I just looked up one that's about $15,000. 690 grams. That's really light. Oh, yeah. Like you could lift that with one finger. What does that announces for our American listeners? Uh, I, the only people in the world who haven't used the metric system. I don't know. Let me do the conversion. No, you know what? Catch up. Do it yourself. You work out how many ounces that is on your own. Compared to other bikes that weigh almost 900 grams. Oh. I mean, 690 grams is... Okay, so a kilogram is 1,000 grams. So this is two-thirds of a kilogram. So I guess it's just like... It's 2.2 pounds to a kilogram. I guess it's like a pound and a half. No, it's, the onus is on them now. Oh, yeah. They uh, they they fight them off. No, that scene's over. Now we're, now we're back at Robin's Nest. Higgins is trying to use quack chiropractic on magnum to help him with a shoulder injury that he sustained in the fight yeah and he's like okay barbara what's up with roger and the teeth because you're not telling me the whole truth because that guy had two gold teeth and she's like oh i was just going to mention that to you he's like oh really 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 he very easily surmises that she knew that these guys were after her or Roger or something and she mentioned the gold teeth because she wanted Magnum to find this guy so they could find Roger that way. Instead of just telling him the truth, which seems a lot easier, honestly. Magnum's like, I, well, then what the heck? How am I supposed to look for Roger? And she's like, well, I've got a picture of him. And he's like, you told me there were no pictures of him. You literally had a picture of him the whole time and you didn't tell, how was I supposed to find him? Magnum's very upset. Finally. Reasonably. And like. Finally, I think. Yeah. He's been sort of railroaded this whole episode. I don't understand why she would do this. Okay, I understand that she's supposed to be kooky, but that is like, that defies logic. When she shows the picture to Magnum, Higgins comments, what an upstanding looking gentleman, because he's a guy with his hair sort of parted to the side and a big mustache. He actually looks a lot like Higgins. Oh, here's another thing. Magnum's hurt his shoulder. If he's actually got a pre-existing injury, he should also not be running this triathlon. Okay, Captain Safety. I'm just saying, embarking on really stressful, prolonged exercise while you've got an injury is a good way to give yourself, a, instead of a temporary injury, a permanent one. How, how about literal fist fights? How are those before triathlons? I mean, also bad. Don't do that. I'm pretty sure he kicked a man in the face. I mean, that's probably okay. It's not his face. It's getting kicked. Okay. Back at the King Kamehameha Club beachfront bar, TC refuses to let Magnum have his beer because... You know, Magnum's in training. And Magnum asks Rick to look up, to ask around, basically, use all his Rick contacts to see if anyone knows this Roger guy and gives him the picture. Magnum gets back to Robin's Nest and the amazing Italian seven-pound bicycle, the the absolute deadweight seven-pound bicycle. <laughs> I mean, only by today's standards. The monstrous Sisyphean... <laughs> shackle that magnum will be tied to for a hundred miles on this race yeah, has arrived it's nice it's teal it's a genuine italian bianchi bicycle by the way i i love her music eduardo bianchi if you like it you should have put a ring on it it's the world's oldest bicycle making company still in existence whoa whoa oh oh oh, oh. it was founded in 1885 Bian all the single ladies all the single ladies Sorry, I hate this episode so much. It's made me silly. I figured you would have stopped for fun trivia. 
I, I that was fun trivia, but I wanted to keep that joke going. Anyway, they <laughs> until it wasn't funny anymore. They disguised all the. You went way longer than <laughs> than that. Then I'm nothing if not thorough. For what it's worth, they taped over the decals, so you can't actually tell that it's a Bianchi bike, but it is. Magnum finally wants to get information out of Barbara because she offhandedly mentions that the whole reason she's trying to find him is because he proposed to her, and he proposed by sending her a postcard, and she knows that he used to work at this arboretum. That was the first place she went when she got off the airplane, but they don't know where he is, and yeah, well, this Magnum's whole- basically just like, there is so much information that you are not telling me fudge the training you need to tell me everything yeah because the whole thing comes up because higgins when the bike gets there higgins is like oh you're actually very fortunate to be running this race and magnum's like oh really it's like yeah well it's going through these gardens that aren't normally open to the public and that causes barbara to say oh i've been there because she was looking for him and magnum was just like what like he's mad and like i say justifiably so because she is like actively hindering him at this point So this proposal, this supposed wedding proposal, so the history of her and Roger, they were in love back in New Jersey, then one day he just disappears. Then he contacts her through mail, and they start writing each other torridly, she says. Primitive sexts. God, it would take forever. Can you imagine? How fast do you think letter mail was between New Jersey and Hawaii? I mean, probably honestly as fast as it is today, which is not fast. It's like at least a week. God. Have we done sex by letter mail as a crap shot before? I mean, I think we'd need to get some old-timey costumes. No, telegram would be much faster. I'm talking about letter mail. Oh, yeah, telegrams are way fast. Yeah. I take off my pants, put it in an envelope, attach a stamp, take it to the post office, send it off. And wait. Three months later. Ooh, tell me more. (laughs) It would take fully three years to have one act. I feel like you'd have to be a lot more descriptive in your in each description because sex nowadays you know there's the there's an interactive quality yeah so that you keep them short and sweet there you'd have this would be like writing um just writing you're writing your own erotic fiction at this point yeah is it slash fic if it's about you no it's just erotic fiction i guess it's author insert fan fiction (laughs) the worst kind i'm writing fan fiction about you but i put myself in it and now i literally put myself in you but i'm tish it's sex fiction (laughs) Unlike most sexts, however, this culminates in a wedding proposal. This proposal takes the form of a postcard of a wedding chapel with the text, this is where all our hopes and dreams come true. And Magnum's like, that's the proposal? And she's like, yeah, no, it's totally a wedding proposal, obviously. And he's and I'm like, like, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. And Magnum Honey, says, no. have you been to this wedding chapel? She says, no, why would I go there? He's not there. And Magnum says, oh, my god fine we're going well he doesn't actually say that but that's basically what he's doing you do get a nice dissolve oh it's a beautiful dissolve between the postcard of the chapel and the chapel it's a yeah. cool cool scene transition i mean and at this point you realize that if she had just said i need to find someone and laid out all of the facts they would have been done in under an hour they go to the chapel they can't go inside the chapel because there's a wedding on but outside there's a gardener and who pulls up behind the gardener then the two thugs one of whom has the gold teeth And who does the gardener turn out to be? Roger. Like I said, if she had just actually explained what was going on, they would have been done in an hour. The reveal, by the way, is really stupid. Yeah. Because you see the guy pulling a big potted 
fern, like a palm fern, out the back of the truck. So you can't see his face. And he sort of walks. He's meant to look like a background extra. Mm -hmm. But it's really conspicuous. Yeah. And then they have this conversation out front of the chapel. This like weirdly unnecessary jokey conversation where the woman who runs the weddings at the chapel is sort of like asking if they're a couple. And they're like, no, we're not. And well, she says, do you ever want to get married? And Barbara immediately says yes. And Magnum immediately says no. And he later explains to Barbara that he's never been married and he doesn't want to be married and it's nothing to worry about. And then it cuts to a sh- close-up of Roger and you hear from off camera Barbara say, Roger? And he turns and goes, huh? And it's very like, wait, spatially, where are they? Mm-hmm. Where where did this, how did this suddenly happen? It's very awkwardly blocked oh. from, a, from a presentation perspective. It's not revealed to the audience actually how they stumbled into him well and the thing is because he doesn't look like he does in the photograph they didn't need to obscure his face at all because we'd only seen his face for like 30 seconds or not even like three yeah that's the really stupid part because he's shaved off the mustache his hair is styled differently he doesn't look like roger from the picture we would never have known no but they recognize each other and they're really really happy about it the Barbara two introduces magnum as a private investigator he says a cop and like goes to run away starts to run away the two guys the two like thugs one of whom with the gold teeth run up and start chasing him roger runs away to in front of where the wedding party just come out of the building and the guy in the blue sedan rolls up with a gun with a massive silencer on it points it at roger and says get in the car and they get in and drive away the two thugs now turn around and reveal their badges to magnum and barbara they are from the treasury department and magnum and barbara are in a whole lot of trouble cut to them not being in very much trouble because they're driving away well they explained it yeah i know but this is this is another like Police consequences happen off camera between scenes. Yeah. So here's what happened. Uh, Roger was a gardener, as he is now, for a mafia boss. I mean, New Jersey just stuffed with them. I think that's their main export. And the mafia boss had done a bank job or something. Apologies to our New Jersey listeners. And had buried $2 million cash in the garden until the statute of limitations blew off. Roger, because he's as much of an idiot as Barbara, found the $2 million while gardening and went, cool, skipping town with this, and took off. That's not a good plan. So the two thugs were actually guys undercover from the Treasury Department, and the dude in the suit is a mafia hitman. Who's been hired to find Roger and find where he hid his money. Yeah. So now this guy has Roger, no one knows where, and... Barbara's all worried and upset and Magnum's like, well, we got to work on this case. And she's like, no, you should run the triathlon. He's like, don't you think finding Roger is more important than running this triathlon? And she's like, no, I just know if you do it, everything will be fine. And I'm like, this is not. I believe it in my soul. Like, I know she's supposed to be crazy, but if I was in her situation, I'd be like, no, F that triathlon. We are chasing down Roger because we are so close and he's been kidnapped by somebody from the mafia. Why would you then go run a triathlon? Well, because then we get to see Tom Selleck in a Speedo. I mean, that's not nothing. And Barbara's still being his coach. And TC is there, who no pressure tells Magnum he bet everything on Magnum to win it. Uh And Rick is there. And Higgins is there in a pastel blue blazer. I think Higgins is there for the lulls. Although I don't think he'd use that phrase. But he's there for the lols. To amuse himself, yeah. Yeah. um, Rick is there because he probably doesn't have anything better to do. Rick is in this for the publicity for the club. Rick wants to arrange a little post-triathlon celebration for Magnum. You know, at the club with reporters. Oh, right. Yeah. So Rick's getting something out of this, too. Sure. 
small behind the scenes trivia. Do you recall there's another, the only other sort of prominently photographed competitor is a woman in a one piece blue striped swimsuit. Yeah. She actually comes out of the water ahead of Magnum after the swimming lap. Yes. That is Eve Anderson. Okay. Who at the time owned the Robin Masters estate. Oh, so that's she a cameo would, for she, her. Yeah, she was the owner of the location where they would film this. So. I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah, just thought that was neat. So yeah, by the way, Magnum does not win the swimming portion. Although they say swimming's your best portion, so don't overdo it, I guess. Like, you know, because even if you do like a mediocre job, you'll still probably be better than people who aren't mm-hmm. as good at swimming and you won't be exhausted by the time you come out of the water. Yeah. That's actually not bad advice. And notably, Eve Anderson did actually compete in Ironmans in Oahu and was an excellent swimmer. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh. So it's not not just that she was a cameo because she was there because of because she owns the location for the Robin Masters estate. but Because she, she was like, I've done one of these. She also was, yeah, a competitive athlete and very good at the, at the swimming portion. So it's kind of funny that she beats Magnum. Huh. Well, I mean, she does have that tidal pool in like real life to swim around in. Yeah, exactly. Though not the beach. Oh, right. I didn't actually see this on the podcast. Sorry. We, I was recently informed by someone in the Loading Ready Run chat room, actually, that in Hawaii, you can't own beach. All the beaches are public. So that scene in the episode with the IRA, where Higgins is on the megaphone screaming at the guy in the boat, there's a private section of coastline or whatever. Yeah, that's, piss off. That's not actually allowed. There's no such thing as a private beach. You have to have to allow public access. Uh, which apparently has led to some people sort of trying to creatively use vegetation to prevent people from coming on, quote, their section of beach and then having complaints lodged against them because that's actually totally legal because the beaches are meant to be for everyone. So I just thought that was kind of funny. Anyway, Magnum uses the triathlon as an excuse to basically push his body on autopilot while his brain thinks about the case. And he's desperately trying to suss everything out. Now, we only saw this episode mere hours ago, and I can't even remember. Did Barbara know about the money? No, she didn't, did she? You know, she might have not told Magnum. That's that's why I'm doubting myself, but if I recall correctly, she actually didn't know about it. And it I guess it, I it guess it doesn't really matter. matter. So what follows the swimming portion is a sort of comedy scene of everyone prepping him for the running scene where uh, Rick is applying foot powder, socks, and shoes. TC is toweling him off. Higgins and TC holding up a towel are helping him change from his Speedo into his trunks. And Barbara makes him drink four ounces of glucose. Yeah, I mean, I guess you'd want to replenish your glucose stores. That's one way of doing it, I guess. Just I, I guess they didn't have your... like power bar gel cubes or something back then. <laughs> If you're just going out for a five or 10 kilometer run, you do not need to worry about anything like this. You just have some water. You don't even need Gatorade. You're probably eating enough salt in your day. But if you're doing like a high level sort of endurance thing like this, you need to be constantly fueling your body. They make running gels for this. So, you know, marathon kind of levels of like, I actually am burning more calories than I can possibly take in and I will need fuel halfway through. So it makes sense that she's trying to get him some food. I've heard about ultra marathoners who like have a pizza delivered and eat it while they're running. That sounds amazing. And I'd, it's just like I'd like to see that. A large extra cheese pizza. Cuz at that point it's just you just need calories in your body and you don't even care, right? I don't even care about this race at this point. No, Magnum doesn't either. Although apparently he's doing pretty well. He's trying. He's going really well. Yeah, he And he just he, he, He's like, I thought I was going to die. He does more running. He does more thinking. He's really trying to figure everything out. Where did Roger hide this stuff? How can we find it now? Because the whole trick is the statute of limitations on this original theft is going to wear off in two weeks. And the mafia boss has to get the money back before Roger turns it in to the feds for a reward. 
because Roger has decided to come clean with it. Well, we don't know that yet, but that's what Magnum figures. Yeah. Then he's on a bike. We don't actually get a humorous, comical, lengthy transition sequence. He's just on a bike now. Yeah. And he's biking. His helmet doesn't look very protective. His helmet looks like an old-timey football helmet. There's like a couple leather bits. Yeah. Uh, Bike helmet technology's come a long way. Yeah. And he's driving through the gardens. And there's a scene... This is intercut with the hitman, Bobby Moran, named nameless character, forcing Roger into the gardens at gunpoint because that's where Roger buried the money. But he did it a year ago and the garden has changed so much he doesn't remember where he buried it, which is a phenomenally dumb thing for a gardener to say. Like, that's not... Yeah, it's exactly. By the way, that's true. And, like, it's that's not a thing that he's... He's not trying to, to lie to the hitman. As far as the character is aware, that is true. But I'm saying in real life, that makes no sense. Yeah. I'm saying that this guy's an idiot. Oh, yeah. He's a major idiot. I feel like a gardener would be able to be like, okay, well, I mean, they've changed some things, but that big tree is still there. And I recognize that tree. And, you know. Yeah. Like, they don't rip up every plant at the beginning of the year. So there's obviously a deleted shot where magnum like hits a flower as he's driving through the gardens because he has like a petal in his mouth and some other stuck to his face and higgins yells from the sideline while they're cheering him on he's in 13th place right now and higgins is on the sidelines yelling uh how did you enjoy the flowers and magnum stops he hits the brakes and goes flowers of course and turns the bike around and pedals back into the gardens much to the shock and astonishment of rick and tc and barbara who jump back in tc's van tc's new van by the way because we saw the van several episodes back yeah and it was blue and then he sold it for bail money in that one episode and this is a new van that is painted with the same black and red and orange styling as his helicopter yeah Looks it's really way sweet. cooler anyway they get back in the van as does higgins rambling twice in this episode by the way there's oh a- yeah while they're prepping him for the marathon portion higgins talks about the origin the historical origin of the marathon and how the guy who did it died at the end yeah but he's just like rambling inanely while other people are doing this like this is the higgins is an old man with stories played up for comedy twice in this episode oh it's so painful actually he does does it again while walking to the van and they take off after magnum magnum who's not looking strong on his legs as you wouldn't be at this time stumbles into the gardens trying to find because he assumes that mag that roger and bobby are i'm amazed he can still walk yeah and sort of stumbles around the others get there barbara finds roger first and runs in and just is like roger my god and they hug and the hitman is like uh what hey what no you keep looking for the thing and they just they ignore him they just have a conversation he's the world's most patient hitman he really is i don't know why he's just standing there going um can you look for the money now please if it's not too much trouble this whole episode hinges on many of these people being really stupid yeah proof by the way that roger is perfect for barbara and that they are both stupid is that he says did you get my proposal and she says oh yeah the postcard that was a proposal and he says of course it was duh and and so they're both even though magnum was like this is not a proposal turns out and you were just in previous in this podcast we're like no 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 that's not a proposal no turns out it was they're both that dumb uh yeah but like these people are unreasonably dumb this hitman's dumb. Being able to sufficiently distract the hitman, Magnum can sneak up behind and do basically the only thing that he's capable of doing, which is flop on the guy <laughs> and take him to the ground and knock the gun out of his hand. And uh, Barbara ineffectually hits him on the head with a plastic bucket, but the guy is subdued enough and it's okay. And then Higgins walks up and says, you realize, of course, at this point, you have no way of winning the triathlon. I and swear Magnum, Magnum is, like looks at the gun and is like, do I kill him? <laughs> he, the gun is in Magnum's hand, and Magnum looks at Higgins and then looks at the gun. 
and then thinks for a second and then <laughs> just sort of looks off like, uh, fine, whatever. So then we cut back. Magnum wasn't going to win that triathlon anyhow. No. So we cut back to the Robin Masters estate. Magnum's got like ice packs on his feet. He looks, he's practically comatose. He looks dead. TC is pissed off because he bet all that money on Magnum and nothing happened. Higgins is fine. Higgins got his personal enjoyment and he felt that, that Magnum did right by Robin Masters and Rick doesn't really care either way. And then we see on TV highlights from the triathlon with one cyclist getting confused and going the wrong way and in the gardens portion. And we don't know who that cyclist was, but he was sponsored by Island Hoppers. So wherever you are, crazy Island Hoppers cyclist, we like your style. And, I and TC's like, yeah! I actually thought that it was going to finish with uh, like the, the human interest story as the triathlon also turned into this crazy police thing because one of the triathletes busted up a mafia hitman trying to extort someone and the police had to be called. That's a way better human interest story. Yep. Why wasn't that in the end of the episode? That makes sense. There was media covering it anyhow, and then all of these cop cars would show up. I got a better question for you. Yeah. So they took care of that one hitman. What about the rest of the mafia people? Yeah. Isn't Roger still completely effed? I mean, I guess he's in protection. I guess he's going to go into now. witness protection now? Yeah, I guess so. It's dumb. It's really dumb. It's really, really dumb. And Barbara does not get more likable. No. As the episode Which is goes a shame because Marsha Wallace is actually great. Oh, she's great, but the, she doesn't have a lot to work with. No. She's got a stupid character that withholds information for no good reason. Yeah. And is manipulative for really no good reason, honestly. I do like, as a season closer, that Magnum gets comeuppance related to T.C. and Rick and Higgins in roughly the same sort of weight that he takes advantage of T.C. and Rick and Higgins over the course of the season. And that's about all I like about this episode. <laughs> Yeah, I I mean, but the thing is, like, because the 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 story, like you just said, the the whole thing with Barbara and Roger and the hitman and the guys from the treasury, it is weirdly constructed and fraught for no reason, and like you said, is just people being stupid because plot tells them to be stupid. TC's whole scheme seems really half baked to me. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not a great scheme, but it's like okay. I would forgive that in a, in a better episode. My problem with this episode is not the triathlon subplot. It's everything to do with Barbara. Yeah. The biggest, dumbest thing is that whole scene where after they've spoken to the guys at the treasury, Magnum goes, okay, so we have to find Roger and this $2 million before the mob man kills him. And Barbara says, no, I think you should still run the triathlon. Who would say that in any situation conceivable let, to man let alone this situation because it's already been shown by your actions previously in this episode that you would not say that in this situation yeah character motivation is just so bad in this episode i mean i just really hate this guy's writing yeah they've been i think our three least favorite of the season probably or just like well actually, i mean i didn't mind the second half of the black orchid all roads lead to floyd was not great it was not great for different reasons. It was not great because I was like not keen on some of the acting choices. Like now, in retrospect, I would give that a higher grade if it had <laughs> come after this. Why is this the season finale? Why would they not end the season on the crazy episode with like Magnum doing espionage and guns and Robin Masters showing up? Right? Yeah. That seems like an, a super... Cause like the, you, yeah, Jay Digger Doyle was a way cooler episode. Yeah, it's like an amazing episode. Why would you not end on that? Because like I said, it's got all of these things, like Magnum's doing cool stuff, and like you you know, you know, get this tantalizing peek at the mysterious Robin Masters who's been around all season. And in fact, it would be better because you got these... If, if the two episodes were flipped in running order, then you would have had these telegraphs from Robin Masters and then actually had him show up. And there's like a payoff for Robin Masters at the end of it, right? Yep. 
That episode, by the way, yeah, uh, along with Skin Deep and a couple other episodes in the season, that was written by Donald P. Belisario. Oh, Donald P. Belisario knows what he's doing. I mean, he's now, written a lot of hit TV shows for a reason. Now, I don't think that the, ne- that the next nine that this guy writes over the course of the remaining seven seasons are necessarily going to be a write-off because it's entirely possible that after this season, they were like, so this, these looked fine on paper and then we saw them and then they weren't. So let's work on that. So we'll have to see. I mean, you can be eternally hopeful. I'm just going to lower my expectations. Do they give the writing credits at the beginning of the episode? I should learn this guy's name and recognize it so I can deflate my expectations a little bit. Well, we've got seven weeks before it pops up again in the season two episode, Tropical Madness. Okay, I'll keep that in mind. Although there is a two-parter between here and there, so I guess it'll be six episodes. Oh, well, there you go. But our next episode, because, of course, in the 1980s, they had to wait until October to see more new Magnum. But you will only have to wait until next week because we are not taking season breaks. No, Uh, because this this podcast really would take eight years to complete. No, so the the next episode of this podcast is going to be episode 19 of the series, the first episode of season two. And it it is an episode entitled Billy Joe Bob. Previously named episodes have been a mixed bag, so I'm I reserve my judgment. Adelaide, <laughs> Jay Digger Doyle, hey, Billy Joe Bob, who knows? But we'll find out next week. We're now onto a different DVD package, Ooh. so I'm gonna put that one back on the shelf now. Exciting. Yeah. All right, wait. What am I gonna rate this episode? Uh, for those keeping score, we have one fourth wall breaking look to camera. Okay. And no, that's racists. But we do have several points on the new unsafe running information tracker. <laughs> That Kathleen <laughs> has decided is now relevant. It gets at least three unsafe running tips. So throw, uh, throw that on the wiki. Um, let me see. Uh, okay. <clears throat> on the scale of seeing Tom Selleck in a Speedo bathing suit, I give this episode a perfect 10 out of 10. I don't think we're ever going to get better than that. On the scale of actually being an enjoyable episode of a television show, ugh. on the scale of having Marsha Wallace in it, you know, I give that a 10 out of 10. But on the mm-hmm. scale of the actual character she was playing, I'm going to give that like a two. I really hated this episode. It was so dumb. So what... It, wh- Did I hate it more than Adelaide? What is, no, what is, no. That all, what is that all average to? I gave Adelaide a four, right? I can't remember. I love that you were rating on a scale of one to 10 binary things. <laughs> Did the episode have Magnum in a Speedo? 10 out of 10. Was Marsha <laughs> Wallace in the episode? 10 out of 10. Don't break down the magic of my rating system too much, Graham. It has, something has to be left to the imagination. It's okay. I did fractions in high school. I know that a 10 out of 10 is also just a 1 out of 1, so it's yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Yeah, I will give this episode a 4.5 because it wasn't as cringy as Adelaide. Mm-hmm. So that gives it a, a quarter point above Adelaide. And it had Magnum in a bathing suit, so that gives it another quarter point. Bring it up to a 4.5. I felt similar to Adelaide in that it. I just felt befuddled. I just felt... Yeah, everything is so overcomplicated. It, it it just felt weird watching it. Like, not in like a, well, that doesn't make any sense sort of way. Just this constant low-level, like... What the heck is going is, on? This is, this, why is this weird? What's, why is this happening? Why can't I put my finger on what's so weird about this? But yeah, there's no plot thickening here. It's just getting more and more confusing, right? Well, well you can use anything as a thickener, but only certain things are going to give it more flavor. Well, I mean, flour and cornstarch will thicken something plenty. Exactly. That's the joke I was making. Cooking tips with yeah. Graham. <laughs> hey, folks. That's it for this week. Our ability to do this podcast is brought to you by your kind support on our Patreon, patreon.com slash loadingreadyrun. It not only supports this podcast, but everything else that we do and all the wonderful people who make it. I'm excluding myself from that 
because that would be a dumb thing to say, but everyone else is wonderful, and this helps us out to continue to do what we do because we love to do it. We love to entertain you. So thank you so much, and thank you for listening. And until next time, uh, Zeus, Apollo, let TC through. He and I got a thing going on this week. Okay, so for my sign-off, here's what I figured out. You've got, like, the episode closer. Hmm. So, you know, I've just got just to do something funny. But maybe this week I'm going to talk about something actually useful. Okay. Did this episode inspire you to take up running? If, no. Well, if you've got some bad ideas, you should not listen to this episode. Here's what you should do. Go, like, I'm not even joking. Just go download a Couch to 5K app and... uh Follow the instructions, walk a little bit, run a little bit, walk a little bit, run a little bit. If you are serious about actually wanting to learn how to run and actually you think you're going to get some use out of this, the other thing I absolutely recommend that you do is you go to a store that sells running shoes and can actually like check your gait and you get a good pair of running shoes because nothing will ruin your knees and your hips and your back faster than repeated uh, high impact activity like knees to chest then just running or jogging without proper support but as barbara also repeatedly said beauty knows no pain name of the episode repeated several times right but you should not if you are in pain not like obviously your muscles will hurt because they are being exerted but if you have like joint pain you should stop doing what you are doing immediately <laughs> can i briefly comment on barbara's beauty knows no pain thing oh that's terrible advice that that may work for her at firmer body fast in 10 days or whatever in new jersey but she kept using it repeatedly throughout the episode as a sort as of as a motivator for magnum magnum to run a triathlon i can't imagine and i feel like triathlon runners will support me in this that you can find anyone at their least attractive more than when they've just run a triathlon. I mean, a lot of people vomit after they run marathons. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's not about beauty. Training for a triathlon is not about being beautiful because you're going to look like crap at the end of it. I feel like the people who run triathlons don't give a rat's ass about being beautiful. They are doing it for the love of fitness. Right, this was supposed to be like a jokey sign-off, but I guess that's our actual advice for you. Was that supposed to be jokey? That was totally serious from you. Well, I'm just I'm very concerned. <laughs> <laughs>